what a privilege to be here with you folks. And of course, my wife, Betty, and uh, our youngest child, our daughter, Connie, and her husband, and their five children, and great time. Uh, the um, Shipes, our, uh, Greg Shipe is pastor of the uh, First Baptist Church in Belfont, Pennsylvania, just outside of State College. And so uh, we're thankful to God for he and his life. Um, when um, Pastor Stone mentioned giving up a church to another person and liking it to, uh, we had one daughter, had two sons, but one daughter, and uh, I found out marrying off a daughter is different from marrying off a son. And uh, to walk down that long aisle and to give a daughter to another man and watch her name change from your name to his name and... Uh, they sang, have a little talk with Jesus. I had a little talk with Greg that day. <laughs> I thank God for his life uh, and for his service to God. Our family is blessed beyond description, and it is so good to be here and to be able to um, be back here at Bible Baptist and uh, meet so many new people and to see so many familiar faces, some from way back, charter members of, uh, of Bible Baptist back uh, many, many, many years ago. And it is such a delight uh, to be here. Thank you, Pastor Yeoman, for the invitation uh, to preach while we were here in town. And um, God bless you. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. I told two of my grandkids this morning, I had four sermons. I couldn't figure out which one to preach. I was going to go ahead and preach all four. I told them not to tell their grandma, though, because that really worries her when I do something like that. <laughs> Second Peter chapter 1 in your Bibles, amazing portion of God's Word. We live in interesting times. This is Peter's final message from his rich life. Kind of a character, wasn't he? We like Peter. We, we like to poke fun at Peter. But he was an amazing man. He was a man of character. He was a man that didn't sit around thinking, what should I do? He's, when something happened, he was the one that stepped forward. And sometimes he stuck his foot in his mouth, but at least he stepped forward. And he said something and he did something. He was a leader. And, and we love Peter. And here's his last statement at the end of a rich life. He died, as you know, crucified. Jesus told him that he, would, that he would die a martyr's death when he met with him around the Sea of Galilee and drilled down into his soul after he had denied Christ three times, cursed. And Jesus drilled down into his soul three times, Peter do you love me? Yes. I'm fond of you. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You're going to die a martyr's death, Peter. Well, here's his last message. And it's a message of hope. And it's a message of encouragement. It's a message of reality. He said, we're going to face, you're going to face challenging times. And we face challenging times, don't we? To live the Christian life in a world that's hostile to God is a challenging life. To live the Christian life in a post 
Christian culture where even people who claim to be Christian have lost a sense of commitment to Christ and the authority of the Word of God and the importance of propagating the gospel to live a Christian life in the post-Christian Christian, uh, post -Christian culture is even more challenging. And we live in challenging times. Peter was encouraging believers who were living in challenging times and encouraged them and told about the future, talked about the future and challenged them to stand strong, stand true. Until you're a grandparent or beyond, you don't feel as deeply, perhaps, the joy of seeing the direction of your children and their children. And to be here at Bible Baptist and see the direction so many churches that were started in that era don't exist today. And so many that do exist have lost their direction. And it does my heart good to see my children walking in truth. And to know that Bible Baptist is alive and well and serving God. I thank God for Pastor Stone and Pastor Yeoman who have followed and have built Bible Baptist far beyond what I had the capability, the giftedness to be able to do. And right now I'm in my mid, pushing into my late 60s, and I'm looking for someone who will take the work in Northern Virginia and take it further than what I could ever take it. And we're praying that God will bring the right person who will take that church into the future and build it stronger and larger and more expansive in its outreach and ministry than what I could ever take it in my spiritual giftedness in life. It does my heart good to see what God has done here in the last 30-some uh, years since, since I served here as pastor. Well, Peter, in chapter 1, gave the believers who were living in challenging times four supports to hold them up in difficult times. I want you to notice that, that God has a goal for the believers' lives. In verse number 3, do you see the last phrase of verse number 3? It speaks about God calling us to glory and virtue. What a goal. God called you to enter his majesty. God called you to enter his glory. To be a part of his glory. That's God's goal for your life. He called you to glory and virtue. He wants you to live a positive, virtuous, excited, enthusiastic life wrapped up in the majesty of a holy God. That's his goal for your life. But God's got a challenge. God's challenge is at the end of verse number four. God's challenge is that you're living in a world that is corrupt through lust. How's God going to get you into his glory? How's God going to keep you in his glory? How are you going to fulfill the glory of God for your life when you're living in a world that's corrupt through desire? How can you escape the corruption of a world, a culture that envelops you? That's God's challenge. 
If God is ever going to get you to the point where you enter his majesty, enter his glory, and you live a life of virtue, for God to achieve his goal, he has to get you to escape the corruption of the world. How is that going to happen? Well, God gives through the apostle Peter four supports that you personally, you personally, can benefit from in order to enable you to live victoriously in a challenging time in Christian history. The question is, will you do it? Will you live that life? Will you be buoyed up under, on top of the supports that God makes available to every one of us in order for our lives to be lived with impact? Four Supports. The first support is what God does for you. Notice at verse number one, the Bible says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have, what's the next word? Obtained. Notice, you obtained something. Come down to verse number three. According as his divine power hath, what's the next word? Given to us. God has given to you. Come down to verse 4. Verse 4, whereby are... What's the next word? Now notice that Peter emphasizes that we have obtained something from God. God has given something to us. God has given something to us. And I want to suggest to you this morning that the first support for your life is what God has done for you. Has God ever done anything for you? Well, here's what God's done for you in the words of the Holy Spirit through Peter. Through God, you have obtained like precious faith. Aren't you glad you're saved? Just over at Doc Strachan's grave yesterday, took the, the uh, family over to see the grave of their grandpa and grandma and great-grandpa and great-grandma. And there on Doc Strachan's grave is one of his favorite sayings engraved on the marker. It's great to be saved. I can still hear him saying it now. It's great to be saved. Peter said, we have obtained from God a like precious faith. It's like the faith Peter had. I wonder if Peter, when he wrote those words, the Holy Spirit whispered in his ear, if he thought back on the Sea of Galilee when he was a fisherman and he met Jesus the first time and he began to rub shoulders with Jesus, and he began to find welling up within him the gift of God that enabled him to trust, to believe, to have faith in this Jesus that he had met. And then he says to you, you have a like faith as he has. You know, the faith you have in Jesus is just like the faith Peter had in Jesus. And it's precious. It's a precious faith. God has given to us a like precious faith. Comes through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Praise God for the doctrine of salvation, justified by faith in Jesus Christ's sacrifice that brought the righteousness of God to our account as he traded places with us and bore our sin on Calvary. But he's also given unto us, verse number three says, by his divine power he has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know you have everything you could ever hope to need in order to live a life of godliness? 
You, you have it all. God has given to you all things that you need in order to have life and godliness, uh, vitality, uh, enthusiasm. That word life speaks of actively alive, uh, vitality and, and enthusiasm as you, have, as you have life and godliness. Christians don't have to be worldly. They don't have to be corrupted by the culture they're growing up in. Because God has given to us everything we need, everything we need to live a godly life, a virtuous life, godly life with enthusiasm and positive excitement. Living the Christian life isn't, woe is me, I can't do this and I can't do that. The Christian life is, wow, God has given me the ability to live a holy life. Where does that come from? It comes, the verse says, through a knowledge of Jesus Christ. You get in your Bible. You get to know Jesus Christ. You get to walk in with Jesus Christ. You get to spend time with Jesus Christ. And your knowledge of Jesus Christ will give to you everything you need to live a life of godliness. The support of what God does for us in giving us salvation and giving us everything we need. And then he says, that he's also given unto us in verse number four, a book full of exceeding great and precious promises. We got a whole book full of promises. You know, God has given to us salvation. God has given to us a relationship with Jesus Christ that enables us to live godly. And he's given to us a book full of promises that tells us what the future holds and what we can count on and what we can enjoy from God. This is all what God has done for us. Peter knew these believers were going to be living in difficult times. He knew persecution was coming. He knew some of them, he was going to die. He was going to be crucified for his faith. Multitudes would be put to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. There was a wave of persecution coming. And he writes to them and he says, you can live victoriously in difficult times because of what God has done for you. But there's another support. Not only what God has done for you, but there's also what you do for God. There's also what you do for God because verse number five says, and beside this, or in other words, in addition to all God has done for you, there's something else. It's what you do for God. And beside this, giving all diligence add to your faith that was given to you by God. And so Peter begins to talk about our responsibility to respond to God. You know, our God is a God who looks for a response. Have you, have you ever done something for someone and you kind of waited for the response? God is the kind of a God that looks for a response. I, I'm preaching through Luke. Pastor McLean, and I, and, I was, and I just came across the 10 lepers, and I immediately remembered your sermon that I heard you preach probably 40 years ago on the 10 lepers. And, and, and when those 10 lepers got healed and only one came back, Jesus Christ was looking for a response from all 10. He only got a response from one. And he was conscious that he didn't get a response from the nine. You ever heard a preacher get up on a, on a Sunday when there was a, the crowd was low and there was a lot of people gone? And the preacher got up and, and, a, and a low crowd, and so the preacher started preaching, and, and he, he started preaching about the ones that weren't there. 
And the ones that were there says, hey, why, what, don't preach that here. We're here. <laughs> preach to us. Well, you know what your preacher's doing? He's just following Jesus' example because Jesus said to the one that came back, where are the nine? <laughs> so he's just doing what Jesus did. Jesus was looking for a response and he was conscious when he didn't get a response. God has given me salvation. A relationship to Jesus Christ that provides everything I could ever hope to need to live a godly life in a difficult world. And he gave me a book full of promises to give me hope for the future. And he's looking for a response. And the response is, now you add to that. And he begins to list character qualities and life development and what happens when we're discipled and mentored. He talks about all kinds of things that I've got to do for God. You see, the support that God gives us is first of all what God does for you, but second, it's what you do for God. And he lists some amazing things to get into and chew through in your family devotions about what we do and what we train our children to do in order to do our part and add to what God has done for us. And after listing all those amazing principles and truths of what we do for God, he then told us that if we do a good job doing that, verse number 8, if these things be in you and abound, they shall make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to live a, a life that when it's all over, you know, something was accomplished through your life? When it was all over and you look back over your life, you can see that God used you. God did something with your life. You don't end your life barren, never producing anything for God. You end your life and you're not unfruitful, having never accomplished anything for God. God tells us if we do our part, we will end our life not barren or unfruitful. We will live a life of accomplishment. And, and, and not only that, he tells us that when the time for us to go home to heaven comes, he tells us in verse number 11, for so an entrance shall be ministered unto you. I like that word abundantly. That's, that's the opposite of getting in by the skin of your teeth. That's the opposite of just barely sliding in. Or like John said in 1 John, when in chapter 2, when, when John said that some people are going to get to heaven, but they're going to be ashamed before him at his coming. Have you ever thought about that verse? That's a scary verse. To make it to heaven and then to look for a place in heaven, you can get as far away from Jesus as you can get because he doesn't want you, he doesn't want, you don't want him to see you because you're ashamed before him and his coming. You see, this is the exact opposite of that. An abundant entrance. An abundant entrance instead of just sliding in and barely making it. You see, if I do my part adding through discipleship and through mentoring and through Christian growth and reading my Bible and my prayer life and my service to God, if I do my part and I add and do for God in addition to what God has done for me, then when I meet Jesus Christ, I'm going to have an abundant entrance into heaven. 
I've read, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I've read that back in the biblical era when it, you know, the sports competitions were real big in the Grecian Peninsula, you know, the Greek Olympics and all of that. And I've read, I've been told that, that it was uh, not unusual for a small town to send off their best athlete to compete in the big uh, games. And, and if, that, if that person went and competed in the games and won a medal, that when he came back home to his little hometown, they wouldn't let him just come into the city gate. I've read that they would, they would tear a new hole in the wall and make a brand new gate. And when he came back home, they would have the brass band out there playing and they would have everybody out there to welcome him and when their hometown hero came home from the games with his medal they would give him an abundant entrance into their hometown what's it going to be like when we get to heaven slip in and try to find a place to hide because we don't want him to see us we were ashamed before him or coming in with the brass bands blaring Welcome, being welcomed into heaven in an abundant entrance. You see, Jesus says, I'm going to do for you some things that you can't do for yourself, but then I'm going to expect you to do some things for me that I want to see you do. And if you do a good job at it, you're going to have an abundant entrance into heaven one day. How do you live an effective life in a world of post-Christian culture. You enjoy what God did for you, and you do for God what he expects. But can I show you the other two? I won't preach on these. I'll just show them to you. Because uh, one of them, I'm going I'm to preach on a little bit, bit of this at, at, at Hamilton tonight. But I want to give you just a little bit of the last two supports. Notice if you come down to verse number, verse number 12, Peter said, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things. You know what you need? Your third support are the spiritual leaders that you look up to. That's a support. God provided these believers with Peter, and Peter said, I'm not going to be negligent and not share these truths with you. You know what that tells me? That tells me that one of the supports that God gives us to help us be effective is that God gives us human leaders to teach us the truths of God. Peter said, I'm not going to be negligent. That tells me that a spiritual leader that doesn't teach his people the word of God is negligent. I will not negligent to put you in remembrance of these things, though you know them. That tells me that you need to be taught the same thing over and over and over again. And be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that I shortly must put off my tabernacle. You know what that tells me? Every spiritual leader you have has a period of time that they're going to be in your life and they're going to be gone. I thank God for Brother Yeoman, Pastor Yeoman. He rescued this church from Alstone. <laughs> aren't, you, aren't you glad that Alstone had a time frame? <laughs> he had a time frame. And then God moved him out of the way and brought in Brother Gilman. 
That's what he did with me 30 years ago, 30-some years ago. He moved me out of the way and he brought in Al Stone. Peter is, is cognizant of the fact that he has a time frame to minister to these people. And he says, in the time frame that I have the availability and the responsibility to teach you, to mold you, to remind you over and over again of the same things, re-preaching the same things. Little Miss Russell used to sit in the other auditorium. She would sit there with her Bible and she would write in the margin the date that I would preach a sermon and the title of the sermon. Three or four years later, I'd preach the same sermon. She'd come up to me after church and she'd say, now you preach that same sermon back on and tell me the date and the year. And I would say the soloist can sing the same, same song over and over again, so I certainly ought to be able to preach the same sermon over and over again. Peter said, I have a period of time to shape you with the word of God and I'm not going to be negligent. I'm going to preach the same thing over and over and over and over again to try to stir you up because we get complacent. We get lackadaisical. We get lazy. And we need somebody to stir us up with the same old stuff. That's a support that God gives us. He gives us human leaders in our lives to support us in difficult times. Then there's one final one. The final one comes in the end of the chapter. You can read it and study it. He gives us the word of God. He gives us the word of God. Peter says, I, I want to tell you, I know Jesus is real. And I know he's real because I was with him. I know by experience. I was on the mountaintop when Jesus transfigured himself. I know Jesus is real because I watched him heal. I watched him still the storms. I watched him cause the storm to settle down. I was there when he said, come walk out on the water. And I went out on the water. I know Jesus is real by my personal experience. Let me ask you a question. Do you know Jesus is real because of your personal experience with him? But then Peter said, but I have a more sure word. It is more certain than personal experience. It's the written word of God. And God gives each and every one of us a Bible to devour, a love letter from heaven, to support us in difficult days, to hold us up when our lives are challenged by the culture in which we live. The word of God buoys us up as a support to help us to live influential lives. They are difficult days. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. We pray it'll be soon. We're looking for it to be any day now, aren't we? But we don't know. We don't know if we're going to face persecution in North America like it's being faced in some parts of the world. We don't know how hard life's going to get. But we know that on the authority of the Word of God that whenever you find it challenging to live a Christian life in a challenging world. You've got four supports. You've got what God did for you. You've got what you're doing for God. You've got some human leaders to teach you and train you how to walk with God. 
and you got a Bible at home that you can read every day. And with these four supports, we can all live lives of vitality and godliness in a challenging world. Do you want to do that? Do you want that for your life? Do you want to be that person who when you get to heaven, you're going to find out that he opened up a brand new gate into the heavenly city. And he's got some angels blaring on trumpets. And he's going to say to you, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of thy salvation. Well, that'd be a whole lot better than trying to sneak in the back door. Trying not to be noticed. God help us to continue on with all of our energy in this life to live well because our God deserves the best that we can give to him. Father, I'm so thankful for the richness of the support system that you have given that we might live full lives, victorious lives, enthusiastic lives, positive lives, sharing in your glory, partakers of your nature and demonstrating to the world your glory. God, help us to do well. 